everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. If you joined me last week, we talked a little bit about how the nervous system should become one of your primary decision-making factors when building muscle, when deciding what to do in the gym. Everyone's nervous system is different. That is, uh, yes, genetic, but that's also environmental and lifestyle-based. So how your nervous system currently exists somewhere between this highly sympathetic state and this highly parasympathetic state. And Everyone exists on a continuum and learning where you are is really important in driving decision-making on how you can ultimately get your body to adapt. So we're going to talk today as an extension of that conversation. So if you haven't already listened to last week's solo cast, go ahead and listen to that now, and you'll have a better understanding of maybe where you sit on this continuum. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bubs, B-U-B-S, BubsNaturals.com, the greatest MCT powder on the planet. I promise you, if you're someone who consumes oat milk, almond milk, coconut milk, anything normal milk, cow's milk in your coffee. If you're a latte type of person, throwing one to two scoops of MCT powder in your coffee, specifically from Bubs, and I'll tell you why in a minute, will completely change the game for you. I'm not selling you on this. I'm telling you a fact. If you put two scoops of this powder in there, it's the most delicious, creamy coffee you've ever had in your life. It It far exceeds any latte I've ever had. It's so delicious, especially if you blend it. If you want to make it extra awesome, add a little bit of collagen, a little bit of lion's mane, and maybe a little bit of stevia. And it's just the most delicious thing in the world. That's what I call my intelligence coffee. And uh, I absolutely love it. I'm a huge fan of Bubs. Bubsnaturals.com is where you go to get hooked up with 20% off. Head over to Bubsnaturals.com, get hooked up with 20% off, use the code MUSCLE. And today I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the equation for exercise, right? So this equation, and I'm going to simplify this equation, but let's call it um, signal, which is ultimately exercise or tension, right? The things that we do, resistance, the things that we do in the gym, these external signals. Um, and then we want to have a response from that signal. So this response may be something like a hormonal response, a catecholamine, a stress response. It may be an adapt. Well, the third step in the equation then is adaptation. So the body responds to the signal with a response and that response elicits an adaptation, right? So the body says, okay, I'm going to adapt. And the adaptation, if it's the right adaptation, will elicit some type of growth or some type of fat loss or some type of tissue, um, default change, right? Or some type of system default change. We call that growth, right? So it's uh, signal plus response plus adaptation then equals growth, right? So, I mean, you could, you could say the adaptation and the growth are ultimately the same thing, but we're looking for this final end result. So if we, if we break each of those down into a smaller subunit, which I'm going to do for you today, it should start to give you a good idea of what the signal needs to be in the gym and why most people are simply doing it wrong. So, now, this is a, a, an incredibly overly simplified explanation. I've spent the last few hours kind of sifting through the research and understanding uh, you know, the, what the research is saying around the robustness of the response. So if we look at a signal, the exercise being a signal, we can, we can create a signal at the level of the nervous system, at the level of the muscular system, at the level of the energetic system, and obviously at the level of the hormonal systems, right? And all those, can, those different um, 
responses are going to be dependent on the amount of the intensity of the stimulus and the duration of the, the stimulus, right? So if the intensity is very high, you can imagine it's going to cause a very specific type of adaptation. If the duration is very long versus very short, it may change the type of adaptation you're subjecting your body to or the type of response you get from that signal. So let's think about that, right? So if the intensity is high, meaning the load is high, typically the nervous system is going to be the uh, greatest or the, the system that's taxed the most. So if I say, yes, I am I'm doing a very high intensity, very low duration, nervous system is going to take the greatest amount of stimulus. And then if I start extending out the duration of that and keep the intensity relatively high, um, then I know the muscular system is going to start to take over some of that. The nervous system is still going to have a high amount of uh, stimulus. And then the muscular system is going to, we're going to start to bleed into the muscular system by simply extending the duration. But as we extend the duration, by default, we know that, that the intensity then has to go down, right? So I can't continue doing max effort lifts over a longer duration, simply can't do it. The quality will stop or uh, you simply won't be able to do it. So uh, we start de descending the level of intensity. And then as I, as I extend out the duration, duration even longer, then obviously the intensity goes down and then my body starts getting to more of a metabolic style of training, right? It starts training the, the cell's ability to produce energy and to recycle lactate and, and ultimately the rate of energy production may become the limiting factor in that point. So think of it in terms of like, basically, that's just, like I said, it's a continuum, but it's like this, it's like this intensity over duration type chart you're looking at, right? So if I want my body to adapt to an, an intense stimulus, I need to keep the intensity high. And then maybe I keep the duration short or I keep the, the amount of time between sets longer to give my body a longer rest period to simply recover. And uh, that's important to know. Now, the quality still matters. When you're, when you're looking for a neurological adaptation, the quality still very much matters. So if, if your goal is simply moving weight, if your goal is simply becoming very, very strong, I still suggest that the form matters a lot, right? So if we talk about this basic uh, prerequisite of you know muscular balance or even skeletal balance, right? Having the skeletal system balanced in a way that uh, is ultimately functional. And now that thrown for that term gets thrown around everywhere. But picture your body just standing. If if you were to remove all your muscles, the skeletal system is developed or or evolved in a way that's really really efficient meaning the rib, rib cage stacks over the pelvis. The spine has this beautiful alignment to where it kind of stacks on itself, this beautiful S-shape alignment. And ultimately, the skeletal system is very, very much load-bearing. If it's loaded axially, like through the head or through the spine, there's a lot of like skeletal uh, support that your body can have. But as soon as the, the skeletal system or the muscular system starts to pull that system out of alignment, that becomes really inefficient. And then everything we do on top of that, whether it becomes, uh, you know, movement or exercise, like running, walking, exercise, any, any type of exercise, will then be start to become more and more dysfunctional, right? If the if the skeletal system at its at its base and the muscular system at its base is imbalanced, meaning there's something pulling you out of this structural alignment, then everything we do on top of that, by definition, will become more and more dysfunctional. So if you've ever worked with me, you'll go through a primer phase with the intention of working toward structural alignment, right? So what does that look like? If you look from the side, the knee, the ear, the shoulder, the hip, the knee are stacked in vertical alignment. And ideally your, um, your muscles are kind of think of it like 360 degrees of uh, balanced 
joint forces, right? We want to have the joint forces relatively balanced on both sides. So your body can do equal things on both sides. If I pull in one direction, with one muscle, the opposite muscle can pull back in an equal and opposite way. And then the body doesn't develop any imbalances. And then we can keep stacking more force through the body and more resistance through the muscles. And they are able to do that without causing some type of imbalance that leads to injuries, right? So think of an injury, if a muscle becomes so imbalanced to a point that starts to hurt, that's ultimately your body going, oh, I'm too far out of structural alignment now. I need to do something to balance this out. That's very common in repetitive type uh, sports or repetitive type exercise where people don't become aware or they're they're not intentional about balancing the joint forces. You simply can't continue to progress. So if your goal is strength, you also have to be aware of relative equal pulling on the joint from all directions. And that means, uh, you know, relative equal strength in all directions of that joint. So if you're really focused on, hey, I want to get good at the bench press, can't neglect your back. You can't neglect the muscles that do the exact opposite. Those antagonist muscles are very, very imperative in the ability to do any type of exercise. So that's a simple framing as far as like, what that signal might start to look like. So it's this balance between, uh, as I say, the nervous system and then bleeding into the muscular system. And then when the muscular system starts to uh, develop tension, damage, and stress, then we start kind of, uh, again, that's another continuum as well. But then we start to bleed into this uh, energetic system and the body's ability to produce, it's like the rate limiting factor in energy production or becomes energy production. So think of it like that. So if you're, if you're writing programs as a coach or if you're uh, wanting to understand your program as an athlete, it's always to do with these, well, there's usually four types of stimulus that I talk about, right? It's like the uh, skill acquisition being the first one, which is done under 70% effort. And so if you're trying to learn something, there needs to be adequate amount of resistance and effort, but not too much. It's kind of this Goldilocks scenario, right? Where if you're trying to learn something, it's the data suggests, you know, somewhere between 60 and 70% load and 60, 70% effort. So, and, and it's repetitive bouts, minimal rest, repetitive bouts. So if you come through a primer phase with me, oftentimes it's like, hey, we're going to train this thing three, four times a week and learn how to do it more effectively. And then from there, we progress maybe an intense into an intensification phase, which may look like, hey, I want to go from doing 15 reps with this weight to going to, to six. And that may progress over the span of six to 12 weeks, um, doing the same exercises and just progressively getting slightly more intense. Again, that's just an example of a way we would progress a type of a workout. And then once we have an intensification, meaning we've got to this point where I can do this exercise really, really precisely with heavier loads, then I can start to stretch out the uh, amount of volume we do, right? So I can do six uh, six reps instead of doing one set, I'll do two, and then two, three, and then three, I'll do four, and I'm stretching out the volume. And then that's kind of decreasing the amount of intensity and stretching out the amount of duration, right? So if we look at it like that, this programming is always this dynamic balance between intensity and duration. So uh, if I want to get stronger, if I want to get more, more intense, I keep the duration short and I keep the intensity high. And, and by keeping the duration short, it could mean uh, low volume in a workout. It could also mean longer rest periods and still low volume, but like giving yourself more time to recover. So the nervous system is fully recovered. And again, this nervous system is typically fully recovered in just a couple of minutes. You don't need massive amounts of time. Uh, so thinking that through, obviously, the more st- the stronger you are, the more intensity you're actually generating per contraction, the longer you need. So longer you've been training, you know, if you're contracting 70 or 80% of your muscle fibers per rep, you can imagine you're creating more, more tension, damage and stress with every rep, you may require more rest, not only before, between sets, but also between workouts. So something important to think about. 
So if we're looking at this signal that's happening outside of the body, exercise elicits a signal, just a signal. It doesn't elicit an adaptation. So that's the way I want you to frame all of the things happening in your life. Light is a signal. Food is a signal. Air is a signal. Breathing is a signal. Thinking is a signal, right? Sleep is a signal. All these things, the six pillars are simply signals, right? And then the next step in the equation is, well, what, what response does this signal elicit in my body? Here's the thing that people don't acknowledge. It's not the same. Right, you can do three sets of eight in a bench press today, three sets of eight in a bench press three days from now, and the body actually gets a completely different response to the same signal. Why? Because it's entering a different system. Right? The system on Monday is not the same as the system on Thursday, unless you're doing exactly the same things, which is almost never true. So some of the research I've been reading through lately is really interesting. There can be uh, as much as a 1.5 all the way up to 20x shift. So the, 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 the variance is 1.5x all the way up to 20x variance in the hormonal response to or the catecholamine response to exercise. So someone who tends to be an overstressed, an overreached state or an overtrained state is going to have a less robust response to exercise, right? So if I do a really hard set of squats today, maybe my response is only a 3x uh, delta change in the hormonal response or the, the catecholamine response, where someone is a little more recovered, a little more rested, may get up to a 20x response. So that's ultimately a really big, big gap and why someone may get a really good response to exercise and someone may not get a good response to exercise. So this is me standing over here, waving my hands at everybody who I work with and being like, hey, before we put more stress into your body, before we ultimately give you more signal, we have to give your body a better ability to adapt to the response, right? We need a better response of the exercise. So if you've joined my coaching in the past, you've worked with me as a client or a coach, you understand the primary thing I'm focusing on in the first phase of coaching, which I call the foundational phase, which may be anywhere from four to 12 weeks for somebody, depending how long, how, how ultimately dysfunctional their system is, is we're trying to increase the robustness or the ability of the, of the body to have this response. So if you're in an already stressed state, the signal you're eliciting on your body is less. Even if you're working at gusto, you're like, oh, I'm going to grit my teeth, I'm going to go hard. Your body simply can't do it, right? Your effort is, uh, even, it's even if it's perceived as high, is not going to be anywhere near as effective, right? So it can be a, you know, almost a 20x difference in the, in the robustness of the response to the same exercise based on the state of the system. So I want you guys to think about this. If you guys want to know the name of this study, I'll pull it up right now. Uh, catecholamines and the effects of exercise training and gender. So it's really interesting. It's by um, Zuhal, Z-O-U-H-A-L et al. 2008. Uh, That's one of the studies I was looking at. There's a three or four I can mention on today's podcast. But I want to give you guys just kind of a reference point that uh, this thing that everyone misses, this foundational phase of exercise is an imperative part of your success. Do you want to have to work 20 times as hard or do you want the result to get or do you want the exercise you're doing to get 20x the response? So 20, almost 20x response is massive, isn't it? Like you can all acknowledge if you're getting a 1.5x uh, delta change in your uh, response to exercise versus a 20x change in your response to exercise, which one do you want, right? You want to have the one that gets the smaller amount of work, gets the bigger response. And I never realized it could be this drastic until I looked through all this research. And that's super interesting. And there's actually gender differences. And there's differences in your aerobic, cardio uh, aerobic changes. And this is super interesting. If you guys want to go down that rabbit hole, 
it may be worth looking at it for somebody who's very interested in exercise. So um, again, moving on from there, right? I just want to acknowledge that. So what are the things that influence our, our response? Well, if you think about it, is if, what is an overstressed or overreaching state? Well, is your stress excessive? Are you replenishing your body when you're stressed? Are you sleeping well? How's your nourishment? Anything that causes any type of systemic stress is ultimately going to take away from your body's ability to adapt to that signal, right? One of the things I used to say as a soundbite is like, you should be stressed two hours a day and, and parasympathetic 22 hours a day, right? So the two hours a day is when you're training. The other 22 is the rest of the day. So if you want your body ultimately to become an adaptation machine, a growth machine, a fat loss machine, you need to be someone who's, who's relatively resilient to stress. You know, stress can happen, but you don't necessarily react or, or uh, feel it, right? You're not a victim to the, to the stress. Stress is just part of life and you, you learn to have this state of equanimity. So I, I experience the thing, but I don't necessarily physiologically experience it again. So uh, in the book, Buddha's Brain, Dr. Rickanton speaks about the second dart, the event that happens, I stub my toe, right? That's that's a stressful thing. It's going to cause a stress response. It's going to cause an epinephrine catecholamine response in my body, whether I want it to or not. If I, if I uh, you know, if someone cuts in front of me when I'm driving, it's going to cause a stress response. But how long do you allow that stress response to stick around? That's the second dart. Most people start freaking out about it in their mind. They start getting angry. They start having road rage or they start getting pissed off at the chair that, you know, moved at, at the exact time to get them, a, a, you know, stub their toe. But uh, read in reality, that is a completely unnecessary response. You can train out of yourself. It just doesn't help you. So um, think about that. So getting out of that uh, catecholamine uh, response, the noradrenaline response, allowing your body to get back to baseline as quickly as possible is the indication of a healthy mind and a healthy nervous system. You guys have heard me talk about that ad nauseum, right? I want to train the sympathetic system because I want to be able to get super aroused when I get to the gym or super aroused when I'm you know, needing to exert myself in some way or turn myself on when necessary. And I also want to be able to get super calm as quickly as possible. And that's all to do with this ability to respond to the signal. So think about that. Uh, and, go, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So if you join the coaching, what things we go through in the first foundational phase. And I recently taught this in a webinar. If any of you guys have ever have an opportunity to get in a live webinar with me or if you're interested in coaching with me, I can give you some details about that in the show notes or in the end of the podcast. Uh, but the foundational phase really starts looking at, okay, what is my stress, right? And how do we then uh, implement stress resilience tactics? What is my digestion and gut health look like? What does my sleep look like? What does my aerobic fitness look like? Um, and then the final one that I typically incorporate in that foundational phase is the skill acquisition, right? So as I work on this equation for exercise, which is ultimately signal plus response plus adaptation equals growth. Um, so the signal is what I need to work on. So I want to get better at eliciting a signal. How do I do that? I need to develop the skill of exercise, right? I need to develop the skill of squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing, rowing, pull up, whatever, all, all these you know, numerous exercises. And I limit that, believe it or not, to about 24 exercises in total, because I think it's important, it's imperative that we get better and better and better at doing small number of things first before we expand out the repertoire of exercises. So if I teach you to play the piano, I'm not going to teach you 10 different songs. I'm going to teach you one first and you get good at one, then you do two, right? And that's how we should be teaching exercise, but people are, are um, distracted and ultimately lack uh, focus and depth. And so we, we focus on breadth rather than depth. And I want to focus on depth of precision of movement. So you may have the same workout for eight to 12 weeks. And be like, oh, I want something new. Or don't, don't I need something different? And the answer is no. Different comes in the form of getting better at the thing you're doing 
And maybe it can come as far as, far as the number of reps uh, per set or the number of uh, seconds between sets. But ultimately, you could do the same exercise for six months and never do the same workout twice because you're getting better at it. That's eliciting a, a more robust response and maybe manipulating the sets and reps and volume, et, et cetera. Uh, but you can do the same exercise. So lose that concept of, of um, novelty, right? You don't need novelty in exercise as far as, well, maybe you do, but you don't need novel, novelty as far as different exercises all the time, or like standing on a BOSU ball in one hand, like it's, it's all just nonsense. Get good at the basics, right? They're foundational things for a reason. They're basics for a reason because that's what you need to get good at. And we've talked in previous podcasts about like how to get better at exercise. So we won't talk about that today, but I want you guys to acknowledge that the two things you should be working on kind of concurrently that you have the ability to control is the signal and the response. So it's not just the signal, right? I can, the signal is like, what am I doing in the gym? Am I listening a better and better and better uh, signal to noise ratio? So I want to have great signal, less noise, right? So how does that happen? More precise movement, less extraneous wasted effort, right? So a lot of people go in the gym and they're listening the wrong signal. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. So if you're someone who's already highly sympathetic, the wrong signal for you would be more sympathetic drive, right? If you're trying to get strong, maybe, but if you're trying to build muscle or lose fat, more sympathetic drive is simply going to drive those catecholamines up and never really get into the muscular response we're looking for, right? So we want to maybe, instead of keeping the intensity high, we want to stretch out the duration a little bit more for you, right? Whereas as someone who's maybe more parasympathetic in nature, we need to have that high intensity stuff to elicit the sympathetic response. So the high intensity stuff for them turns on that sympathetic system more. So if you guys don't understand the sympathetic, parasympathetic, there's, I've been on a million podcasts in, this in the past, sympathetic is simply the stress response, right? The, the um, extraction or utilization of energy for movement, for uh, muscle contraction, for whatever. It's, it's this driving the the, the bus, right? It's driving the bus faster. Whereas the parasympathetic is replenishing, it's recovering. It's ultimately allowing you to kind of tune up the engine a little bit or use the, you know, convert into stored use, utilizable energy again. So we have a dynamic balance between those systems. If you tend to be a little bit more um, inclined to gain weight, to add weight, to get fat, to, to, to just be, be lazy, be, be uh, harder to get going, then that's typically more parasympathetic. So those type of people need the more the sympathetic style workouts and they need more duration, right? They can handle both. So you have to kind of understand where you are in this continuum. So coming back kind of to this response that we spoke about, start paying attention to not just the signal, obviously the signal creates the response, but then say, what is my body capable of responding to right now? And your, your training needs to match that. So if you're training, if, you, if your body is, has poor ability to recover to the current amount of stress that you have in your life, adding more stress simply doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? It's like, okay, yeah, let's add more stress. I'm effectively just digging another hole in the, in the landmine or in the mine or field around me, right? So I want to make sure I'm plugging all those holes before I ask my body to do more. And that's this foundational phase of exercise that I talk about. So we look at this response. Um, we're looking at how can I increase the robustness? For some of us, it may be time off. For some of us, it may not be time off, right? For some of us, it may be, hey, I need to get more consistent with my training. Maybe I improve my aerobic fitness. But remember in training, there's always at least three or four different types of signal or stimulus that I could subject my body to, right? So I have the nervous system uh, stimulus, which is high intensity. Then I have muscular uh, training, which is ultimately high um uh, density, well, not even high density, it's high, uh, it's kind of a blend between intensity and then duration. And then I have the energetic 
one which is longer duration, which then can get into things like aerobic fitness and aerobic and, uh, and aerobic fitness. So I want to make sure I have a balance of all of those types of signals in my body. Which one does my body most right now? And how do we know that? Well, what is my body maybe least good at, right? So which one am I least likely to want to do or which one kind of is my weakest link? Think about always addressing this, this perspective of always addressing the weakest link first, because that most often is your greatest opportunity to elicit the biggest, the biggest response with the least amount of signal, right? So we don't just depend on huge amounts of stress to uh, to get the response. We ultimately want to learn to um, kind of choose and laser target the best stimulus to get our body to respond. So hopefully that helps. And uh, so we look at signal as the external uh, exercise. Look at the response, which is again all these multiple levels of tissue uh, that can respond, all these multiple levels of hormones that can respond, and then ultimately that elicits an adaptation. And the adaptation can be what muscle growth, right? It can be uh, strength, it can be fat loss, it can be improved aerobic function, uh, it can be you know any any of those things, right? Ultimately, so which one are you after? Which one are you are you most after right now? Which one is the greatest opportunity for you right now? How do you know? Likely, which one are you not good at? And it's some it's some balance between what is your goal and what you're not good at, right? So if my goal is to get really big and strong, and even though I'm not that good at aerobic fitness, maybe I don't prioritize it that much. I still do a little bit because I think it's important for recovery and for growth, but maybe I don't make it my first priority. But if my goal is getting lean, healthy, and muscular, then maybe it's a dynamic balance of all three of these because to be lean, healthy, and muscular, yes, I want to be strong. Yes, I want to be muscular. Yes, I want to have low body fat because I know it's the best way to function as a human, right? It optimizes my blood levels, my urine levels, my metabolic processes, and allow my body to ultimately thrive mentally and physically. So hopefully that helps. Um, again, a few more questions coming in off the internet today that people want to, to speak about. One of the questions I got is, hey, what do I use on a consistent basis supplement wise? So if you guys listen to the podcast for any amount of time, um, you know that my new focus in life is not just being the biggest man on the planet, which it once was for better part of 15 years, but it's now shifted to, hey, I still want to look really great, but training isn't my first priority anymore. And I'll be completely transparent with that, right? Tra training is definitely a second or third level priority for me. First level priority is, is being the best man I could be. And I could show up for my family. That means living in integrity and ultimately, you know, being a, a thoughtful, intentional uh, dad or, or man, period. And then we get into, well, now I want to, I want to build my freedom. I want to build my security. And so that's a big part of my life. And my, my training is obviously still a huge part of it. And sometimes it's the top and sometimes it's second, you know, kind of depending on uh, it's, it's this rotating, um, you know, trilogy, I guess of, you know, I want, I want to be in peak physical condition, not just for uh, myself and my ego drive anymore, but so I can be here for a long time for my family. So when I train now, my, my training's not necessarily focused on, as I said, eating huge amounts of food and uh, fueling massive lifts. It's like, hey, how can I maintain a certain level standard of excellence? So I want to be able to deadlift 500 pounds. I want to be able to bench press 350 or whatever, something like that. I want to be able to squat 500. And these are kind of my benchmarks. I just maintain those, right? And, and, I, and I change the the uh, the duration so i try to keep the same intensity i'm not trying to squat 700 pounds anymore and now maybe i just manipulate the duration so some days i do lower volume some days i do higher volume some days i really crank up the volume and go super high 
uh, just based on how my body looks and how I feel. So if I feel like I'm super recovered, I'm going to do a little bit extra. If I feel like I'm not, I'll do a little bit less, but I still maintain that specific level of the, the markers for me. So what does that look like to support that supplementally, right? So my, my standard becomes the gauge from which I make decisions. So if I feel like, hey, I didn't do very well in the gym today, that means my body's probably a little under-recovered. Maybe it's undernourished. I'll bump the calories up a little bit. I'll make sure my recovery supplements are in place. What are those? Well, magnesium is the top of the list. You guys have heard me talk about that before. I use Mag Breakthrough from Bioptimizers multiple times a day, sometimes three times a day. Uh, if I'm if I'm training in a high um, volume type workout or even high intensity, I increase the magnesium because I know that magnesium is a big part of many, many processes in the body, specifically for me, muscle contraction and stress. So when we're stressed, muscles are typically more tense. We're burning through more magnesium. Magnesium tends to be a great way to calm down the muscular system, calm down the nervous system. That's a big thing that I take every day. Like that's one that if I'm traveling, I try to minimize how much I take, but magnesium for my breakthrough is one I, I take just always. I'll always have at least a bottle or two with me when I travel. Um, and again, so the typical way that I'll take it, I usually take one pre-workout, I'll take two or three post-workout, I'll take two or three with dinner, and then a couple more before bed. So I'm taking it multiple times throughout the day. I don't take massive doses each time, but I take enough to make sure my body's getting this kind of dispersed um, administration of magnesium. It's a big one. If you're not already taking that, get on that. Uh, I take zinc every day, sometimes zinc in the morning, sometimes zinc in the evening, depending. If I feel like I'm maybe get a little run down. I want to make sure my zinc levels are optimized. So probably like 30 milligrams a day for me is, is a good place to be. Uh, that's normal. Vitamin D and vitamin K2 are things that I take consistently as well. So vitamin D, uh, obviously you guys know is, is a very, very important part, but K2 should be in ratio with D. So I believe it's a five to one ratio. So if I'm taking a thousand units of uh, D, I should be taking 200 micrograms, no, 120 micrograms of K2, I believe. Yeah, micrograms. So that's, I'm going to actually have somebody on the podcast soon to teach us about this D to K2 ratio, because I think it's really important right now, especially with immunity being kind of all the the um, buzz on the internet right now. Everybody's got to improve their immunity. Yep. If you just exercise and get sunshine, typically you'll probably be okay. Good foods. So again, I'm not trying to get into this uh, this controversial conversation around what's happening in the world right now, but uh, I hope everybody acknowledges that the best thing you can do for yourself is one, um, get yourself healthy, move, eat well, get outside. It's not stay inside and be by yourself and be a hermit. That's the complete opposite of what you should be doing. Uh, and hopefully we can all be aware of um, the very obvious manipulation around segregation that's going on and just support each other as humans, first above all, right? Love each other, take care of each other. Like you're, you're absolutely being manipulated by people that you don't realize that you are. So am I. I just try to minimize how much exposure I get to the to the nonsense. So uh, hopefully we, as humans, stop leaning towards segregation and start leaning towards community and supporting each other and uh, not avoiding each other and ultimately having the, the conversations to know who we can trust and who we can support and trying to bring others along with us, right? It's not something that um, is sometimes easy, but we should. That's a bit of a tangent. Other things I take consistently throughout the year and almost never leave without it is my reishi, my lion's mane, and my cordyceps. You guys know I've started taking that for sleep. Um, I just always travel with it and almost never leave home without it. Uh, what else is in my medicine cabinet right now? Uh, vitamin C, uh, CoQ10, uh, 
Uh, I like to take antioxidants kind of cyclically. So I may take a, a pycnogenol. I may take like a uh, some type of um, somewhere I'm looking for um, like berry extract, like beets, some something like a nitrogen, some type of nitrogen booster for my heart. So I'll take like beet, red uh, red berries, dark berry extracts, and like a powder. I'll mix them with some protein powder, typically protein powder. I'm not taking a lot of, but I will take collagen protein, uh, maybe like one scoop a day post-workout or before bed. So to make sure I'm getting enough glycogen or sorry, enough uh, glycine. Um, and uh, that's really about all. Uh, I don't take too many other things consistently. Mm. I may take things cyclically. Like I always have a bottle of curcumin in my bag. Uh, just in case my inflammation feels like it's going up. And how do I know if I get a little tight, I'll get a little rigid. I'll take that. I've always got a bottle of fish oils around. I've usually got a bottle of cod liver, cod liver oil around. Uh, it's important for vitamin A. So if you have, feel like you're getting sick, cod liver oil is a great way to get vitamin A. Um, and that's really it. Um, again, keeping it as simple as I can is typically my approach. So ladies and gents, hopefully that was helpful for you. Today's podcast is brought to you by our amazing friends over at bubsnaturals.com. Guys, if you're not already a customer of Bubs, get on it now. You're going to thank me so much when you experience the beautiful combination of MCT and collagen in your coffee every morning. The intelligence coffee ratio is we're looking at is about I'm doing about 10 grams of MCT in my coffee in the morning. That's a lot, but it really gets my brain going. I do about 10 grams of collagen protein in the morning. I do about one to three grams of lion's mane, 600 milligrams of alpha GPC. If you're someone who tends to get a little anxious from coffee, putting a little bit of theanine in there can actually help to prevent the, the, um, you know, the, the raciness of coffee and kind of calm me down, maybe hundred milligrams of theanine into a coffee, blend it up. It's nice and frothy. It's absolutely delicious. It destroys any latte I've ever had uh, as far as creaminess and just overall experience, improving your brain, improving your function. You guys are going to love it. Head over to bubsnaturals.com. Use the code muscle to get hooked up with 20% off. Bubs has always been an incredible sponsor of the show and I can't thank them enough for just continuing to provide such amazingly valuable products. And they've got some more amazing products that I'm actually working with them on to help come out soon. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what Bob's does. I love the company. They also give 10% of their profits to charity, which again, you guys know I'm a big believer in conscious businesses, right? What can we do to actually help each other, help the planet to become a better place that Bob's is giving back with their incredible um, charity program. So head over to bubsnaturals.com, use the code muscle, get hooked up. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, share it with one person, you know, and love the podcast subscriptions keep going up. So I want to say thank you guys for being here. Thank you for being loyal. If you have a question, comment, or anything you want to share with me, a testimonial transformation, you can head over to my Instagram, send me a DM or put comment on one of the posts. If you want to be part of the muscle intelligence coaching, which we're taking a very small group of people right now, um, we're taking on 30 clients. I have no idea how many spots are left, but I'm getting on calls with people right now just to see if it's a great fit. We have three levels of coaching opportunities available, all of which go through a very, very similar process of going through the foundational phase, through the optimization phase, and then ultimately through the performance phase. And when you get to that performance phase is when your body is getting to that 21, 20 to one ratio, right? Where you're getting those huge responses from the exercise because your body's able to recover. It's your body's recovered from uh, distress. We're doing all the things we can to check all the boxes and get your body adapted to uh, ultimately being healthy, right? So we talk about adaptation. It's effectively health, right? Health is the ability to adapt to impose demand. 
So we want your body to be healthy first, and then we can start getting you ultimately optimized and then performing like a champ. Head over to muscleintelligence.com slash apply, A-P-P-L-Y, to jump on a call with me personally to talk about your goals and how I can help you live your greatest life in a body you love. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.